who are all weirdos. Welcome all you weirdos, Krakow and refugees, and everyone camped out in line to buy tickets to see the Marvels. Uh, you guys know you can purchase those online now, right? It is time to receive your 71st Weird Dose of X, the mutant member of your Weird Science family of podcasts. I'm your host, Jason, broadcasting from the Wrong Turn Studio, high atop stately Weird Science Tower, and here with me live from a completely camera-free prison cell is my man, Ruben. Now, now Ruben, are there cameras in your cell or aren't there? I always, I always get confused. <laughs> there are, but the jailers are completely inept and can't figure anything you gotta, out. You got to check the tapes, guys. You got the cameras. You got to check the tapes. I just anyway. told him it was Mystique. <laughs> it could be. It really could be. So today we're going to talk about X-Men number 28 and held over from last week. And we'll see if they were worth the wait. Ms. Marvel, the new mutant number 304 and Realm of X number 304. But first, a, a little bit of news. You may remember, Ruben, how excited I was last week that Marvel had gone a full seven days without announcing another new miniseries. Well, a reset that counter zero, because coming in March, we're getting a four-issue mini called X-Men Forever, written by Kieran Gillen of Immortal X-Men and drawn by Luca Maresca of Children of the Vault, a.k.a. the best Fall of X mini. Immortal seems to end in December, and Gillen calls this mini, quote, a coda to Immortal X-Men. I'm not sure why it has to be its own title and not just four more issues of Immortal, but hey, more Kieran Gillen is better than less Kieran Gillen, so I'm fine with this. Does it sound like a good time to you? Yeah, as soon as you said Kieran Gillen X-Men, I was like, okay, that one's going on the pool list. My guess is, uh, unfortunately, only people with high taste enjoy Kieran Gillen. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I hear he's not the biggest uh, name in Marvel comics or any comics. And well, so we, we cultivate a certain enlightened listenership here. So I'm sure all our listeners love it. I mean, maybe you don't, but you know, we, we think there's some good stuff to be found there. Yeah. Probably just got to, you know, reset it to get some people to be like, oh, number one, I'll check, check that out. Right. They do love their number ones. I mean, it's an odd choice of title. This will be the fourth incarnation of a book called X-Men Forever. The first one was a six-issue time travel story written by Fabian Nessaiza, came out in 2001. Second and third volumes called X-Men Forever were an alternate universe story written by Chris, Claire, Chris Claremont in 2009 and 2010. It was supposed to be the story that he would have told in the early 90s had he not quit Marvel, like here's what my plans were, and it kind of just petered out at the end and didn't even finish. So I'm guessing there's no real thematic connection here, just Kieran Gillum thinks that immortal forever, kind of sort of related. It sounds cool. So I, I think that's that's all it's going to be. It's going to be kind of like Immortal, but the ending of it. So we have that to look forward to next year. But now let's get right to this week's book. This starting with the one book that's actually from this week. It is X-Men number 28, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Joshua Kassara, colors by Marte Gracia, letters by Clayton Cowles, Designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. And the title is Jailbreak. Now, it starts off, I think, really, really cool. This is a great, exciting first scene. It picks up with what we saw at the end of X-Men 24, four whole months ago. Sunfire, in the dark and cold, at the end of his rope and with Red Root, Red Rooted into his chest. If you read the most recent arc of X-Men Unlimited, and, and Ruben, have you gotten caught up with Unlimited at all? No, I keep meaning to do it. Where does that start? 
Oh, uh, it's like the last six issues. If you look at the covers, you can see the one that has Sunfire on it. Okay. It's, it's, the one and there's before. one with Juggernaut that ends the last arc, and then the one after that has Sunfire. So those who have read it, you, you know how Sunfire got here. So before the gala, Sunfire went off into Otherworld in search of Redroot, who's the Iraqi parallel to Doug Ramsey. Redroot got trapped in Otherworld all the way back in X of 10. So we haven't seen her in a long, long time. So after various shenanigans, Sunfire discovers Redroot in Blightspoke, being used by Moira and Orcus to produce the Blightswill we've seen Orcus use in the Bishop War College series and at the gala. So that's a kind of nice little bit of continuity. I like that. Right now, Redroot is teeny tiny, having been kind of used up by the process. And Moira stabs Redroot into Sunfire's chest during the fight. So that's why Redroot is like physically inside his chest. And I had forgotten this from X of Tens, but Redroot doesn't actually speak, which is confusing because her job is to be the voice of Araco, and I don't I don't get how that would work if you can't speak. But it's an Iraqi thing I wouldn't be able to understand. So in this issue of X-Men, Sunfire goes through a portal. Uh, just so they can end up in Amenth, which is where they need to be at the beginning of this issue, and specifically in Amenth at the very end of the Heralds of Apocalypse one-shot, which I was not expecting that connection. He's found and picked up by Apocalypse himself. Apocalypse uses Sunfire's blood to activate that third and final Okara seed that makes a gate without needing a seed on the other side, and then he uses his Apocalypse powers to heal up Sunfire. Then the strange hooded figure we speculated about coming through the portal with Apocalypse and that Amenthi demon at the end of X-Men Red number 16? I guess that was Sunfire. Ruben, was Sunfire on your top 10 list of possibilities for a mysterious <laughs> hooded figure? Yeah, no. That was it's, crazy. Uh, Sunfire's a strange character. They don't really ever, at least to me, they don't really ever know what to do with him to make him distinct and interesting. So hopefully this is an opportunity to do that. Yeah, he's going to play, it looks like he's going to play some major role in that Genesis War, which could be fun. And yeah, I'm not sure what uh, Redroot's going to do, but Redroot coming back feels significant as well. So we're only four pages into this book. It's already pretty awesome. The rest of the book, I think it's okay, but it, it doesn't live up to those first four pages. The main part of this book is about Firestar, who's, as we know, a mutant double agent operating behind Emily Lo enemy lines as part of Orcus. Emily Lines? I, I think I went to middle school with her. Anyway, Enemy Lines. Uh, I like a detail in the art here that shows the coffee break area of Orcus HQ. We see this grungy box of donuts and an old-fashioned drip coffee maker. That, that made me laugh. I don't know why, but that made me laugh. So, Ruben, it sounds like you're not as amused by Orcus kind of being a bit lax and slipshod these days. Yeah, something happened that was unfortunate to me. It's like they decided to make them incompetent and sort of bumbling. And that makes it, it's hard for me to reconcile that with this group that, you know, modified the Krakoan medicine and, you know, pulled the ultimate dupe on the Krakoans and, you know, orchestrated that, you know, big attack on Krakoa during the gala. It, it just, we've been seeing it in a lot of issues. I think Miss Marvel as well. They just seem sort of yeah, inept. We've certainly been seeing there's lots of different parts of Orcus that don't really seem to coordinate. Almost like there's multiple writers who aren't coordinating with each other. Uh, I, I think for this part, the way I write it up in my head is that Dr. Stasis and like the main parts of Orcus, they think they won. They think it's over. They think the mutants aren't really any more of a threat. So that I think it, that's why they're kind of slacking off because they think yeah, oh, they're not yeah. being challenged. 
I like that headcanon. I wish that was on the paper somewhere because it would really help me <laughs> yeah, understand yeah. why they're less coordinated and less effective. And Just put a little bit of words into somebody's mouth to that effect, I think, would, would go a long way. And I can also get to like that Dr. Stace has had his mind adjusted by Gene, right? So he's a bit of a dope, right? Well, at, at least as far as Firestar goes, he's not going to suspect her, even though he probably should. But he seemed a little more clever in the issues where he was talking with Mother Righteous, right? Seems like he had an agenda and he was like, you know, moving the pieces. And I don't see that from this characterization in this issue. He just kind of seems- Yeah, I think that was probably under a different writer, which is, again, probably what's going on here. So Firestar, well, she knows she has to speed things up now because Dr. Stasis is going to have Juggernaut killed and have Juggernaut's whole gem of Sidorak powers transferred into him, which would be bad. So her plan is to sneak into that Gyrich Center hit an anonymous orcus lady over the head with that lady's own rifle. That lady's dead, right? <laughs> it, it certainly seemed that giant rifle, that giant kathunk, whatever the a wood. Yeah, well, the Kill No Humans thing's been out the out the door. Although I always thought Firestar was a bit more of a goody-goody, right? I, I, yeah, I thought think... maybe these subtle use some energy powers, but no, just whack her over yeah, the head. Yeah, I could see a knockout, but rifle. not like a, yeah, not like a execution it's, it's style. It's pretty violent. Anyway, uh, Firestar steals that lady's uniform to infiltrate the medical facilities. She uses her microwave manipulation powers to, I think, boil the sedative being used to keep Juggernaut unconscious. Is that, is that what happens here? It's odd that no one in the operating room notices this happening. Besides cameras, they definitely don't have smoke alarms in the building either. Because I guess it's if I were writing this in like prose and just plain old text, I would say something like she heats it up enough to denature the chemical so it doesn't work anymore. But on on the comic panel, you can't, (laughs) you know, you got to draw something more dramatic. So it looks like a dramatic boiling and like the the bag is melting and changing shape. Look, the bag's about to fall apart. Anyway, I think that's just a hard to get across in the art kind of thing. So I'll I'll let that let that go. so now it's time for her to visit Cyclops, who still doesn't know she's a traitor. It's stated in black and white here, literally like in the text box, Firestar has to put on a good show for the cameras. So Orcus cells do have cameras, and we even see one pointed right at Scott. Yeah, so I'm going to say this. This drives me absolutely insane, and it made me so angry. But <laughs> Okay, maybe a bit but, extreme, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean... This issue is probably not even as bad as I think it is, but this whole like oh now there are cameras thing. Whereas like yeah, last we had issue, the issue Shadow of, Cat was right here, the same exact spot, having this whole yes right you know very straightforward conversation with Scott, and no one saw her. There was yes. no camera, and, and Shadow and now Cat also went camera. up to the Orca's base, right? I forget what it's called, but she was up there and beat up Firestar, and then left, and there was no camera for that either. So. The only thing I'm going to say is maybe after the last incident with Juggernaut, they realized they had to up their security and now there are cameras where there weren't before. Awful convenient. Maybe. Again, put one line of dialogue to say that and I'd have to say, oh, okay, I'll I'll go. Yeah, they should have. I mean, when they talk about capturing him again, they should have been like, you know, how did that happen? Well, we don't know. We better get some cameras in there, right? Like, it would have helped. It would have helped a lot. For sure. Also, the... You know, there's a camera here, and she's like tapping his shoulder. Wouldn't somebody figure that out? Like, well, yeah, let's talk hey, about that. Hey, that looks like Morse code, right? Like, 
They have this strange two-level conversation where out loud, Firestar tells Cyclops, you better take the plea deal. Let her play along with Orcus's plan. It'll be good for you. Uh, and out loud, Cyclops tells Firestar to basically go F herself. So at the same time, Firestar is poking at Cyclops's chest in, like you said, Morse code, which they mutually understand, Jerry Duggan tells us, because, quote, they were both in the scouts. Yeah. I was in the scouts <laughs> too, and is, but. no way in hell if somebody hit me with Morse code, I wouldn't know what they were saying. And so this reminds me of the whole fist talking thing in Tom King's Batman between Bruce and Tim. Remember yeah. that? Where yes. the way that Batman punched him, it sent a message. Yeah. But what bugs me here, I'd be okay with the concept of Morse code. I mean, you've heard of like people in POW camps mm-hmm. you know, tapping Morse code or mm-hmm. uh, when they were being filmed for propaganda purposes, blinking the word torture. This stuff really happens. But what bugs me is the length and complexity of Firestar's message. Yeah. It goes on for a while. She One, she apologized to Cyclops for not having freedom yet. <laughs> Two, she implores him, you know, don't lose hope. Three, she explains all about what's going on with Juggernaut, which how long is that going to take? And tap, 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 tap. And again, she can't go that fast because I don't imagine Scott practices interpreting Morse code through chest taps all that much, right? It's not like after we do the red triangle protocol, we all tap each other on the chest and make sure we can do Morse code. Yeah. The best part would be is seeing seeing Scott and he's just like getting tapped. He's like, what the hell is wrong with this person? Like, she's such an asshole. (laughs) Like, why is she hitting me? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if, if she just did SOS like three times in a row, that would communicate something. But this is like a, a, a novel. Yeah, or like, I'm not your enemy, I'm not your, I don't know, something French. Just the word friend. Yeah, friend, yes. Okay, so this is when Juggernaut Kool-Aid mans through the wall to fight Firestar. He he too doesn't know she's a double agent who just saved his unstoppable ass. He thinks she's just a traitor. Until Firestar tosses a USB thumb drive into his mouth, which is funny, and has this whispered conversation with him. Again, a conversation that seems to go on way too long and be too complex that Everybody in Orcas would notice this. Firestar wow, he's got her up in the air about to smash her. And right. she like, like, ah, like if you're watching a WWF match yeah. and he picks you up for a suplex and it hangs there while she says to him, don't eat the thumb drive. Number two, trust me, I'm secretly still on the X-Men. Number three, you need to escape now. Number four, she gives these fairly complicated directions as to turn left here, turn right there, how to meet the rest of the X-Men. And five, Say, hey, this is how we're going to end our fake fight. It's it's too much, Jerry Duggan. You 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 did too much here. I don't buy it. No cameras in this room either. <laughs> well, there's plenty of actual orcas people watching. So cameras, schmammers, who knows? Maybe he broke all the cameras. They all happen to be on the same wall. He he went through <coughs> just a little too. I mean, I, I'm okay with the idea of her trying to get these messages across, but there should have been a cleverer, more believable way of. Of putting that on the page. Okay. So I also on, kind of ahead. question, uh, like this happened previously and Nimrod stopped him. Where's Nimrod now? Well, I see we see Nimrod later. I guess right now this is at the Gyrich Center. Nimrod's still up on the satellite, I think. Yeah, but wasn't so he there the take first some time? time? This happened the first time, but they just like conveniently were like, oh yeah, and then he got stopped by Nimrod. So I, I guess that's why she's saying he's got to get out of here now. Maybe Juggernaut's not the brightest. Maybe the first time he tried to stick stick around and get his revenge. He didn't know where to go, or now he knows how to meet up with the X-Men. I see what you're saying, but I could I can write that one off. I mean, I guess from a story perspective too, like what did capturing Juggernaut to only have him escape again accomplish? What like 
I don't see how this really moves the story forward other than like it just happened this way. I don't know. It just kind of is annoying to me. It's like first they released him, then he was captured, and then, oh, he's free again. Just felt like yeah, padding. It's been a little back mind. and forth. I mean, we'll, we'll see if he has a role to play going forward. So, Juggernaut, he does make it to the X Men. We don't see how he gets there, but he gets there. Uh, surprised he could sneak around again. I would think there'd be Orcus cameras following this giant, hulking beast of a man and follow him to the X Men, but whatever. No. Uh, he went into still- the alley. That's. <laughs> There's, there's still, uh, the X-Men still hanging out on the entirely Morlock-free Morlock tunnels, and he just delivers a thumb drive. He didn't swallow it, so which has information that will be important at the end of the issue. So this is a task that he performs. But let's stick with Firestar for now. She got beat up pretty bad by Juggy here. Bruises, neck brace, she looks pretty rough. And the Orcus robot squad up here on the, uh, the satellite of Moira, Nimrod, and Omega Sentinel, they suspect she might not be on the up and up, right? Maybe... Dr. Stasis, she thinks she's completely on board. They didn't have their minds messed with, so they, they think some weird stuff is going on. But Firestar, as you alluded to in our opening, she has a really good defense here. I like this defense. It wasn't me. It was Mystique. Brilliant. I mean, completely believable. It's happened before, and it works even if there are cameras around. So what did you think of this excuse? I thought it was The it was excuse was good. The excuse was good. But it. I just feel like these robot people are just not as intimidating or intelligent as i was led to believe and the whole time just just things well, if like you think omega sentinel is not intimidating here you just wait for Ms. marvel <laughs> i think i think a lot of the miss marvel bleed over is affecting my opinion of this but i feel mm. like if i had seen this scene right after the hellfire gala or right after inferno i would have been like oh man this is a, a tense moment and instead i'm just like moira what are you doing balancing a a knife? Like, is she just showing off? Is, is that supposed to be intimidating? Like, yeah, look at me, she's I can been balance doing a some, knife. Some knife things. I think in the the X Men Unlimited, she does well. In that one, she like makes her hands into blades. I mean, I remember she cut off Banshee's face, right? Like, there was a point when she was kind of brutal. But I just don't get this. Let's have a conversation as I show you that I can balance a knife on my hand. She's not okay. as specific a character as she used to be. Now she's just kind of, she's a bad guy who's part of Orcus and she's a robot. Where for a while there, she was a very, very specific character with particular motivations and, and goals. And, and now she's just, I don't think they know what to do with her at this point. Let me point out another thing in the art that makes me laugh. Samora's got a gun in one hand and she's balancing a knife in the other, right? And then Firestar, you know does her tough guy thing where she's like, hey, you dummies, like I checked into the center twice. That proves that Mystique was there, right? Okay. And then she slaps the knife out of, um, <laughs> out of Moira's hand. That's a weird panel. <laughs> kind of like me where she's like, what are you doing? This is so stupid, right? And she just kind of knocks it out of her hand. The gun's missing. So she apparently like slapped her so hard that she like dropped the knife and the gun. <laughs> like, what is yeah, that I, scene? I guess. It's it's an odd panel. It's drawn in a silhouette, which you know I I like the mix change up in art, but it it reminds me of that that optical illusion where there's the ballet dancer spinning in silhouette, and like when you look at it, your mind can make it change direction. You don't know which way it's going, and that's what this looks like to me. I have trouble looking at the silhouette and actually saying here's here's where stuff is. I hadn't even noticed the gun part. That's that's pretty funny. Maybe she just dropped that straight down. Yeah. I mean, I can see the, the knife is on it's balanced very precariously, right? Like, that's fine. That goes flying. But, like, Robot Lady can't hold on to her pistol. It's like <laughs> somebody slaps this thing out of your hand. That, that's pretty funny. I hadn't noticed it. So, so anyway, I, they, she's off the hook for now, but she knows she's kind of running out of time. She's going to be fi- found out. Yeah. 
Okay, our uh, our last scene. Why is she crying too? Sorry, I'm not I'm not done with this. Why is she crying as Firestar leaves the room? Is she upset that she had to lie again, or did well, it really hurt she, when she slept? I, well, I think a couple things. Hand. I think she's. I, I'm okay with her. I think she's physically in pain. She just got her ass kicked by Juggernaut. <laughs> okay, right? She's got. Uh-huh. I mean, she's got a, a a neck brace on, like she's about to go to ju- see Judge Wapner and get some damages. Mm-hmm. And also, I think she's overhearing uh, Moira and everybody else kind of talk about, "Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta kill her soon. She's outlived her usefulness." Okay. So I, I think Moira's talking okay. loudly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, it looks like we're supposed to think that that she overhears this. Okay. So on to our last scene: uh, Shadowcat and Ms. Marvel sent to make contact with a group of mutants. These are ones that Orcus learned were still on Earth, and this is the information that was on that thumb drive, that drooly, drooly, gooey, nasty thumb drive. This so, part was no, cool. I'll say this it was this cool. Part was cool. Some, some, some nitpicks, you know, that's what we do here. Uh, no one tells Ms. Marvel where they're going, which doesn't make any sense. The only reason they don't tell her is so that we readers can be surprised. And really, they would, of course, tell her, hey, we're going to Latveria, or, or Latvernia, as, as Jim likes to call it. Uh, it's not that big a surprise because it's been hinted at a few times now that Dr. Doom has a group of his own, quote, X-Men operating there in Latveria. Mm-hmm. And they, Kitty and Ms. Marvel do arrive in a cool way. They phase through the cargo hold of a private jet. Kitty allows herself to plummet into the earth with her shadow powers going, and then she swims back up to the surface. I'm all right. That seems kind of unnecessary. And my physics brain wants to think, okay, how fast is she going when she hits? How does she slow down? How far into the earth does she go? I don't think we're supposed to think that hard. And also, uh, Ms. Marvel uses a, a regular a parachute, although it's a parachute with a giant X-Men symbol on it. Once again, <laughs> Ms. Marvel cannot help but advertise. She's so excited to be on the X-Men. She wants everybody in Latveria and at the campus controlled by Orcus. Everybody's got to know she's on the X-Men. Yeah. Who manufactured this? <laughs> and and can't she- can't she just do a Reed Richards thing and turn herself into a parachute? Or is she not as stretchy as Reed Richards? Because, you know, that's what Reed Richards would do. At any event, where they're safely on the ground, and I think this needs to happen for it is kind of cool when she gets stuck in a tree and she stretches downward to get on the ground. That was fun. I like that. When they're safely on the ground, they meet up with Wolverine, the Logan version. And I'm not sure it, it really matches with the continuity of Logan's own title, but hey, I'm glad to see Logan here. So I like this idea too, where they said Laura Kinney thought, man, eh, maybe Miss Marvel's not really field <laughs> field tested. Like we need to send somebody a little more experienced to help with this. And then Logan shows up. Yeah, so that part was cool. I thought that was good. So they're here to try to track down these mutants, but hey, that's going to be super easy, barely an inconvenience, because Doctor Doom and his mutants find them. And Dr. Doom, who's really cool final panel, Doom looking like a badass, like that, he says, because Ms. Marvel says, hey, where are we? Where where in Europe are we? And Dr. Doom says, you're not in Europe. This is Latveria. Now, Ruben, I'm no Marvel geographer, but everything I look at says Latveria is part of Europe, like it's in (laughs) Europe. So is is Doom trying to say, oh, we're not really, we're not part of the EU, we're not part of the Schengen area, or however you say that? I what? I don't get it. I mean, he's egomaniacal enough that I could assume that he Has he gone through Latvexit? They pulled out? <laughs> I, I don't know. But, but again, I, 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 I know he wanted to have one cool badass thing to close the issue. Yeah. And I, I, I think too hard about it. But it, I, I, a pretty cool ending, really cool beginning, stuff in the middle. 
a little more contrived than it needed to be. I, I love Starfire doing the double agent thing. I like seeing that it's difficult for her, that she's struggling, right? This is not a walk in the park for her. She's not, you know, some characters would do this with panache and, oh, of course, I'm untouchable. But you can tell she's having a rough time. That's why I'm okay seeing her start to break down there in that, that panel after she leaves the, the robots. Uh, so looking towards the next issue, I, I want to see how Victor Von Doom reacts to Orcus uh, kind of dominating the world here, because he thinks that's his job. I want to say Joshua Kassar's art throughout is pretty good. Actually, it's very good, especially the Doom page. Like I was like, that's really, he looks awesome. There's there's one panel, at, it's, it's not fair that one goofy panel gets more attention in my brain than a hundred completely solid panels, but one goofy panel of Ms. Marvel, that's kind of from a funny angle. Makes her have this giant chin. Maybe she's stretching her chin. I don't know. But for some reason, that's the panel that stuck in my head. Sorry, Joshua Kassara. The rest of it looks awesome. Uh, so yeah, overall, I had a pretty good time with this. Too many nitpits, nitpicks for me to really give it a super high score. But yeah, I'm going to give it a, a 7.5 out of 10. It's a, it's, a, it's a pretty good time. Some fun things happen. Yeah, very positive. That's I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I hated so much of it. I'm just going to say six. There, the, the beginning, I didn't understand really. I think I need to read that that um, those X Men Unlimited arc. Maybe it would have made more sense to me. Um, yeah, I was seeing that connection and the connection to X Men Red. That thing really for me, like the beginning and the end, those were like eight eight point three territory, and then the middle dragged it dragged it down. Yeah, and even the conversation up on the Orcus Station was fine. I, as much as I got annoyed with the you know the knife and everything else, I thought the conversation was pretty good. Okay, so uh, that is definitely an issue that you should be reading if you want to follow the main story of what's going on with the X-Men these days. Now, our next book probably doesn't fall into quite that same category. This is Ms. Marvel. It only gets worse, yes. The New Mutants, <laughs> number three of four. It, it features two of the same characters we're just talking about, by the way, Ms. Yeah. Marvel and Omega Sentinel. We'll, we'll see how they act in this book. It is written by Iman Vellani and Sabir Pirzada. Art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Uh, looking on Twitter, I think Adam Gorham draws the dream sequence stuff. I think that's why there's two artists. Colors by Eric Arciniega. Letters by Joe Caramagna. Designed by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. So to start with the positives, the, the art here is pretty okay. That's, that's kind of my last positive. <laughs> Uh, at the end of our last issue, Ms. Marvel was asleep, and she remains asleep right up to the very last page of the issue. And, and listeners, I envy her, because this is not a good comic book. I would rather have taken a nap. But to start off in the real world, we learn what Dr. Nikita Gaia's plan is. She had that drone plant a psychic bomb on Ms. Marvel. It's going to infiltrate her mind. And since the mutants have telepaths, hand wave, hand wave, hand wave, the bomb can spread and kill all the mutants. Oh, that's the breakout character, Doctor Strange. Or wait, not Doctor Strange, but Doctor Surfer. Doctor, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're going to get to the dream sequence. I'm going to do the real world stuff first, I think. Okay, sure. Uh, there's a really dumb panel, funny dumb panel here, illustrating the desired outcome. We have this Wi-Fi signal, you know, because it's techno-psychic stuff. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we see these kind of rough sketches of Kitty, Rogue, Emma, Sink, and Laura while falling to their knees and covering their eyes with their hands like they're playing peekaboo. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Strangely, that's the exact same picture of me when I was reading this issue. <laughs> it looks like you're playing peekaboo with a little baby. Yeah. Uh, the, the only catch here is that Ms. Marvel will need to let the bomb, quote, past her telepathic firewall, which are some words that almost mean something in English. 
Mm-hmm. Another thing I don't like here is Dr. Gaia demonstrates this tech by pushing a button that completely fritches out Karima Shapandar, you know, that time-traveling Omega Sentinel from the future timeline. Yes. The big threat with, with a big brain, AI-powered brain. First yeah, off, I, I do it's remember. dumb that this biotech designed for human minds would even work on a Sentinel. should be completely different. Past that, Omega Sentinel is one of the badasses to badasses in the whole mutant part of this universe, right? Dr. Gaia should not be able to take her down like that. I, I don't buy at that. What point? I'm shocked that editorial let that happen. At what point did this happen? Did she have like one of her little drones attack? Or did she like walk up to her and <laughs> touch her? I feel like Unexplained. That would to, Excellent to question. Death, how, right? yeah, how was this button connected to her brain? It looks like a little like garage door opener for some reason. Robot bed bugs. Okay, so the Orcus device is a psychic bomb. I guess there wasn't enough room on that ship to put in GPS. Because Orcus has no idea where Ms. Marvel is. Mm-hmm. There's communication between the chip and Orcus because Bruno, who's, I guess, brilliant, finds it and hacks the signal, trace it back to Dr. Guy's computer, sending a, here's a frog, greetings you've been hacked message. This tech is simultaneously strong enough to defeat Omega Sentinel and weak enough to be hackable by friggin' Bruno. Not Reed Richards, <laughs> not Bruce Banner, not Riri Williams, friggin' Bruno. <laughs> I, I don't I don't buy it. Another d- dumb bit where Orcus sends drones to look in on every sleeping student. Creepy. Uh, but doesn't recognize Kamala. Yeah, yeah, Bruno puts this COVID mask and a magic X-Men glasses on her. But oh, Kamala's God. been walking around campus unmasked for a couple days now. She's yeah. sleeping in the room assigned to Kamala Khan. This should not be a mystery. Yeah. Who so is that's this? the real world. I, I don't understand. Who, who could it be in this bed? Unclear. <laughs> and... The, there should be like a, a, a connection. They should know that the little wireless drone is in here. Like one drone comes in, there's a little techno thing on Ms. Marvel's head. They should talk to each other. Anyway, that's the real world. The contents of the interminable dream sequence aren't any better. It's it's incredibly generic. Every dream sequence you've ever seen where she has to learn to trust herself and she's not only, it's not only my powers who make me who I am. Yeah. That's what happens here. Yeah. The Trojan horse pretends to be Kamala's suppressed mutant ability, offers huge cosmic power, Kamala rejects it, end of psychic battle. Well, after reading the first several issues of this series, the one thing I absolutely wanted was probably eight more pages of worthless dream sequence. Well, cannot get had, enough of that. I, I need more. They had more. two issues worth of story, and they were contracted to, to write four issues. So Hopefully the next issue we can get another 13 pages of dream sequence, because I just, I just love this. Okay, so on the last page, Kamala finally wakes up, only to see a huge old-school sentinel outside her window saying, quote, mutant detected, threatening to blast her and Bruno to pieces. So the sentinel can find her as a mutant, but no one else can find her for having, I, I don't know, bad comic, poorly conceived, poorly written. It's trying to do the identity thing super clumsily. Really bad jokes. We'd even go over the jokes. No mention of that nuclear bomb somewhere on campus that Captain Krakoa put here. And yeah, only one issue left. I can only hope that Omega Sentinel gets up, kicks Dr. Gaia's punk ass, and the bomb explodes and removes all these characters from ever appearing in a comic again. Three out of ten. Really awful. Um, be I think, probably around the same place. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel jealous of everyone giving out twos on the uh, main Marvel cast, so <laughs> I'm going to give a two. Like, this okay. was just awful. It it wasn't even fun awful. It was just awful. Like It got worse, like worse than the last few issues. And 
all I can think of is like this whole series exists for one thing, which is just to show us like what her mutant power is. Because that seems to be like what all this was, right? Like she's come to peace so. with herself, and then now Unless she's awake. It's still and going to be? Is it going to end with her rejecting the idea of having a mutant power? She doesn't need one. Yeah, I don't but think she so. is a mutant, but she doesn't yeah. have a. No, I feel like this whole thing is like the reason the Sentinels are now detecting her is because she came. She reconciled herself in some way during the dream sequence, and now, oh, now they so, can detect that she's got the power. Kind of like what happens to magic on the last page of our next. Book. Yes, yeah, very familiar. Okay, yeah. So that's uh, my prediction: is the next issue is going to be like I bet it's going to be triggered by the stress of losing Bruno, and you know, gotta. It always happens, right? Like your power manifests under a stressful condition, so. Could very well be. We'll find out. But I so could have, I mean, they could have done that in a, a single like issue, right? This could have been a one shot and um, it would have saved us some time. <laughs> yeah, even even make I'm it a $10 I'm not buying this, shot. I guess that's what I would say. And if you are buying comics, I wouldn't buy this one. Yeah, I, I'm curious. I know there are Kamala Khan fans out there. I, I'm really wondering how those fans are reacting to what's been done to her character over the past, you know, half year or so where she killed off, brought back, she's a mutant. She's part of the X-Men. She's an okay character. I think she could be a really good character, but I, I haven't cared for the way they've used her for kind of a long time. I'll say this um, randomly. You know, you're joking about the Marvels um, movie, right? The my, movie, my, yeah, my, comes out uh, this week as we speak. Yep. Yeah. My my six-year-old, who doesn't have a lot of exposure to the Marvel stuff, but has gotten a few um, like Spidey and his Amazing Friends books, mm-hmm. um, very young stuff, she saw this character and apparently it appealed to her. So when she saw the poster for the movie she was like oh the marbles i want to go see that and i was like oh okay i guess i don't know oh, i could nice. research well, it probably not give us a review for of that but- movie next time we uh, we talk because i will not be going to see i haven't seen a marvel movie in, in some time yeah yeah i'm on the opposite end of that spectrum i'm so deep into the terrible mcu that like i actually haven't like the miss marvel like disney plus show i haven't been able to Forced myself to watch all of it, but pretty much everything else I've seen, all the movies at least. Okay, so that's two books featuring Ms. Marvel. Let's go on to our last book, which does not have either Ms. Marvel or Omega Sentinel in it. This is Realm of X, number three of four, First Blood Spill, written by Torin Gronbeck. Uh, the artist is, well, it's kind of confusing because the cover says that the art is by Diogenes Neves, who, who did draw the first two issues of the series. But the interior credits page says the art is by Bruno Oliveira. Oliveira. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Sorry, sorry, Bruno. I know I was, I've already been mean to another Bruno this episode, but uh, artist Bruno, I want to say her name right. Who's on this cover? Is it, is this like a weird look for Mirage or? It's Mirage. Really- it does kind okay. of reflect one thing that happens in the book, where she kind of calls out like, hey, Asgardian gods, we're stuck yeah. in Asgard. Why yeah, aren't you out. helping us out? But it's way more dramatic on the cover than it is in the book. Yeah. And it's what's weird is I, I think what happened, and I'm kind of just guessing here, that there was some sort of a time crunch and that uh, the original artist, Leogides Neves, didn't have time to do it. They said, hey, Bruno Oliveira, can you do this for us? And it looks like, I mean, the art looks pretty rough. Yeah. It looks like it was drawn quickly. Uh, yeah. That doesn't just explain why everyone has googly eyes. They all look like Cookie Monster. Yeah. Even like series characters, like like Dust, they they look like they're, they're googly googly googly, and I don't I don't understand that. So, it, which is so different than the first two issues. I don't know if Neves is coming back for the last issue. If it'll be two and two, reading this book in a trade is going to be well. First off, don't do that. 
But if you do, it's going to look really, really odd. Okay, so the plot. We had a group of six lady mutants got sent from the gala to Vanaheim. Four of them are working with the Veneer and are mentioned in this prophecy thing. Those are Mirage, Typhoid Mary, Dust, and Marrow. One of them wasn't mentioned in the prophecy. Her powers ain't working, and she's gone off to sulk. That's magic. The last of them is enjoying the hospitality of Lady Saturnine, who wants to use her power for nefarious purposes. That's curse. So as the book opens, we see, we kind of see what Saturnine is up to. She's trying to open these rips in reality to let through these alien-seeming allies. She gets one ship of theirs through, can't hold it open long enough. Some of the aliens are killed when there's the rip slams shut again. So that's what she wants this hidden power source for. The one she wants Curse to give her access to. Yeah, and she talks about wanting to like rebuild her fortress or station or whatever, but I'm like, on Vanaheim, why? Or is this like she needs the power source so that she can rebuild her tower? I guess I don't she was in one of those Betsy Britton books we didn't read, so maybe it would make more sense if we had read that. I I just had no idea what her agenda was here. I mean I Surface level, like you said, I get it, right? Like that rips through time and space. We don't know why she wants what she wants these allies to do for her. And then I was like, who are these allies? Like, I didn't even, I mean, they look kind of coolish, but I did not recognize them. It was weird. So these allies fly off to attack that group of four, Mirage, Mary, Dust, and Marrow. They fly on these futuristic flying speeders, but they fight using very non-alien-seeming crossbows. I didn't, didn't get that. They weren't like even like energy crossbows or just plain old crossbows. The ladies win the fight against the aliens, but in the process... Saturnine steals something important from dust. Also, I want to say really quick, just uh, art failing, and I and I get this is probably rushed, like you said, but there are these scenes where they're like, we're being overwhelmed, and there's like one alien. I'm like, really? <laughs> like, this is your <laughs> like overwhelming force is like one alien with a crossbow attacking you? It just, yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's it's not, not that epic. So now <laughs> it's time for a poetry break. It's the prophecy. It's really did you did you try to read this poetry out loud? Did you read this page or did you skip it? I started to read it and then I read the snarky annotations and then realized if the writer's gonna snark their own crappy poetry, I'm just gonna read the snark. And so it's supposed to be in iambic hexameter, which is, you know, six six beats per line. The rhythm is all messed up. It's it just there's extra syllables, there's missing syllables. If you were writing this for like a children's book, your editor would say, no, it, it doesn't work. It's like if you're reading it, you can't sing along to it. It feels like you're, you're tripping over yourself. It goes through the four strangers, obviously Mary, Dust, Mirage, and Marrow, who are going to be important. And then it adds in a fifth stranger who's going to make a pivotal choice. I think we're supposed to think the stranger is curse, but maybe it'll turn out to be magic. Like the person who is not important turns out to be important. Or maybe it's really just that obvious and it'll or just maybe it's saturnine because they talk about it being referencing a witch that would be the clever way to go yeah which i, I doubt is going to happen in this particular <laughs> book so next we visit with saturnine and joanna smallwood the prophetess who is supposed to have written that awful poetry and maybe i just missed the first two issues but reuben is she a ghost <laughs> no no i'm serious here is joanna a ghost <laughs> no i know why you're, la- why you're asking that because like it just suddenly she is but She's yeah. floating. We, we knew she was kind of, I thought she was tied from the ceiling upside down as a, a torture kind of thing. Yeah. No, but I did she's, too. She's floating upside down. And yeah. when Joanna gets mouthy, Saturnine says to her, well, you are infuriating for a dead woman. Now, yeah. maybe this is a threat. Like, I'm going to kill you. You're as good as dead. Mm-hmm. Or maybe she's actually a ghost. I, 
honestly don't know. Yeah. Well, the person that comes to talk to her seems to not notice the person flying upside down, but you can't tell because it's just all shadow, right? Right. Or, or maybe this is just, of course, there's always an upside down person hanging in Saturnine's bedroom. I'm just a servant. I'm not going to say anything about it. I mean, I thought, I was like, is this the Upside Down Man? Do you remember that from DC? (laughs) I was like, oh, this character's pretty creepy. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) So, let's, might as well check in with magic. She's either a prisoner or she's a evil spirit. Who knows? I'm going to go with Ghost. I think it's more fun that way. (laughs) So, Magic went off on her own last issue. I, I think she wound up at the same location as everyone else. Again, not really clear. Some of the scenes get tagged as location and, and some don't. Magic finds Curse, wants to rescue her, but but Curse don't want to be rescued. Curse is pretty happy living here in the castle with Saturnine. And speaking of Saturnine, Saturnine shows up, catches Magic, tosses her off a balcony to be returned to a few pages later. So now Curse belatedly realizes that Saturnine maybe isn't on the up and up here, and Curse speaks a curse. That's what she could do. She says, Show the world who you are. We know it's a real curse because it's in a different color font. So that that means it's, you know, the actual power taking place. We don't know what this curse will do, but the way curses curses work, it's not going to be good for Saturnine. Some kind of, we, we see this kind of image that I think is supposed to be symbolic. It almost looks like a snow globe breaking, which again makes me think of DC with a snow globe, but it's not the same snow globe. So, yeah, somehow uh, Saturnine is going to be revealed to to the rest of the world because she's been hiding out. I think the walls of her fortress have disappeared because she was talking to the ghost about how the Vanaheim people are going to attack her, but they're going to get destroyed because she has these strong wall defenses and that they'll just kind of crash and there won't actually be a big fight between armies. Now the walls are gone, so if the Vanaheim people attack, they'll have to fight and then it will be that prophesized big war. Very well, maybe. So, on that last page, we flash back to moments before when Magic was plummeting towards her death. On the way down, she has enough time to think back to old times when she was trapped in limbo with that demon Belasco. Mm. Belasco tells young Magic that the best power source for Magic, that's small m Magic, is despair and misery. So, in the last panel, Magic, capital M Magic's, her white googly eyes turn into black googly eyes, which must mean something. I mean, I guess her powers are back. <laughs> Either cause of what she remembered or because of Curse's curse, maybe both, very unclear. So, this book looks awful. The plot barely makes sense. None of the characters act anything like themselves, except for Saturnine. And I already hated Mm. Saturnine, so her (laughs) acting like herself is not a bonus. Avoid this book, uh, 2 out of 10, and I guess we'll have to spend 30 seconds talking about that last issue in a month, but... Yeah, this this has just crashed and burned. This is a tough one. Like to me, what was worse, this or Miss Marvel? And they're they're both. I pretty think this miserable. was 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 worse. I mean, Miss right, Marvel well, had it, some some Miss Marvel herself is kind of okay to be around. It's a little more focused. This book is filled with bad characters drawn poorly, <laughs> and especially the art. The art here is way below Miss Marvel. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's the case, I have to go one point eight because. This is such a trash uh, book. Like it's just Yeah, so so listeners, uh retroactively, you you probably could have tuned out after we talked about X-Men. The rest of it, not so much worthy. But anyway, that was our show. Last thing I'm gonna say, what I understand is there is so much text in this issue, and I don't know anything about anyone or their motivations or the <laughs> characterizations. That and is I'm true. like, how do you put this many words on a piece of paper and I can't even fathom? What's going on? We don't even know if like a character is alive or a ghost. (laughs) 
Like that's how bad this is. We we talked about in Dark X Men how oh maybe there's too many characters, hard to keep up with all of them. It's so much worse in this book. Lots of characters and they're just they're just plain acting wrong. But I think we've Did you like the Vanaheim guy? They make a big deal about him being first blood guy and then I, yeah, I he just gets killed off him. immediately. <laughs> I don't care about him. I for, I forget he existed. Yeah. So that was this week's books. One of them pretty good. Others, not so much. Uh, next week, we have two books coming up. We have X-Men Red number 17. We have X-Force number 46. And I'm sure somewhere here or on the Marvel show, you'll get to hear about Uncanny Spider-Man number three as well. Uh, so until then, Ruben, what should our our loyal listeners do to keep themselves occupied. Yeah, read more X-Men comics, but not this one. Maybe you can find an issue with uh, Saturnine that's actually good, because I have yet to see anything that makes me think that character is yeah. or, even or remotely interesting. Or that arc of X-Men Unlimited with the, yeah. with the Sunfire. That was pretty good. That might be better. Yeah. Bye-bye.